0: Hey, welcome to More Than Bread, a podcast where the Word of God takes center stage, and the Word, which is Christ, is the star of the show. At least that's what I hope. I'm hoping that as we dig into Scripture, that ultimately we are brought to the One who is called the Word. Jesus is the Word, the the face of God, the mind and heart of God. In the Old and the New Testament, and especially the Psalms, I see Jesus all over the place in the Psalms. For the last few months, we've been uncovering hidden gems. Within the book of Psalms. I'm Dan, a pastor, your Bible reader and host, and and today we're diving in to Psalm 94 with episode 135. Now, now Psalm 94 is a passionate, travailing cry for justice in the face of oppression and wickedness. It and it just, I don't know, it resonates with the struggles we encounter in a world filled with injustice. I look all over the place, neighborhoods, nations, and and injustices all over the place. But even more importantly, Psalm 94 reminds us that, that we can turn to God, that we can trust God as a source of hope and justice. We, we can turn to him with authentic, vulnerable honesty, even raw honesty, in the face of the injustice we see in our world, in our neighborhoods, and in, in our workplaces, maybe even in our, maybe even in our homes. As I read the psalm, you're going to hear some frustration and anguish. Uh, a bold cry for God to act, even hope in the midst of the hard. And as David writes, and and I read, and you listen, just let your heart be drawn to an area of injustice in our world, in your world, an area that that just kind of grips your heart. I mean, for me, that's Myanmar. It's one of those places. It, it might be racial tension here in our country. It, it could be anywhere, anything. But what is it for you that just kind of grips your heart as an area of injustice? And, and, and as that area of injustice grips your heart, just kind of wrestle in the tension, along with the psalmist, the tension between your hope in God's ultimate justice and those present heartbreaking experiences of sin embraced and evil let loose. So I'm reading from the New International Version, um, Psalm 94. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth, rise up, judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. (laughs) Wow. I mean, right away in those few words, there's a lot there, right? The God who avenges, rise up, judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, verse 3, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? They pour out arrogant words. All the evildoers are full of boasting. They crush your people, Lord. They oppress your inheritance. They slay the widow and the foreigner. They murder the fatherless. They say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Take notice, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? The Lord knows all human plans. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the one you discipline, Lord. The one you teach from your law, you grant them relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance. Judgment will again be founded on righteousness and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evil doers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. I got to read those words again. Unless the Lord had given me help, I would have soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, my foot is slipping, your unfailing love, Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you, a throne that brings on misery by its decrees? The wicked band together against the righteous, and they condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress and my God, the rock in whom I take refuge. He will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. Wow. This plea for justice is passionate and unapologetic. In some ways you might say it doesn't have a lot of grace in it. But we understand. But but we understand that in God's world a love for grace doesn't exclude a call for justice. A love for grace does not eclipse the need to stand and and contend for those in the margins of life who are shouldering bigger burdens of injustice than I am. The Lord is a God who avenges. <laughs> and in our ears That sounds harsh, doesn't it? But do you know who hears good news in those words? Those whose lives have been broken by proud, wicked, arrogant evildoers who boast about the misery they cause others. Those those people are in our world. It's good news for those who are crying out for someone to rise up and contend with them against the wicked, someone who will take a stand against evildoers. It's good news for those who say, unless the Lord had given me help, I would have soon dwelt in the silence of death. It's good news for those who can now say, my foot was slipping, but God, your unfailing love supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation, your comfort brought me joy. As I was studying the psalm, it reminded me a little bit of what the prophet Habakkuk wrote in one of my favorite scriptures. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, he writes, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing, for the earth? will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, don't don't pass go from that, that statement in Habakkuk. Don't pass go without noting that the glory of the Lord is not compatible with cities established by bloodshed and injustice. Woe to the country that builds its cities with bloodshed and injustice. But glory is coming. That's the hope. Glory is coming. How much glory? Don't miss this. linda has been pointing this out to me for years. First, how much of the sea is covered by water? Uh, not, not not, how much of the earth is covered by the sea. Only a fraction of the earth is covered by the ocean, by the sea, by water. But that's not the picture. The picture is of water covering the sea. How much of the sea is covered by water? All of it. And and grab onto this as well. Habakkuk isn't praying forward to a day when God's glory finally covers the earth Because has there ever been a day when the glory of the Lord did not fill the earth? See, what's missing is not the glory. What's missing is the knowledge of his glory. What's missing is the knowledge of his glory. So what in the world is God doing? He's filling the world with the knowledge of his glory. The God who avenges, the God who rises up against injustice, the God who takes a stand for those who are oppressed, is the very same God who is filling the world with the knowledge of his glory. But then the New Testament does add a necessary dimension. I think the Psalm 64's cry for justice and Habakkuk's vision of glory. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that there's a battle taking place in the heavenlies, a battle against injustice and oppression for God's glory. I love how John Eldridge describes this battle when he writes, For when we were born, we were born into the midst of a great story begun before the dawn of time, a story of adventure, of risk and loss, heroism and betrayal. A story where good is warring against evil, danger lurks around every corner, and glorious deeds wait to be done. Think of all those stories you've ever loved, he writes. There's a reason they stirred your heart. They've been trying to tell you about the true epic ever since you were young. There is a larger story, and you have a role to play. I love the Apostle John's description of that that same epic battle in Revelations 12, verses 1-9. through A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with a sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. But then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. You know, you—you might miss it if you weren't looking for it, but John is telling the backstory of Christmas in those few words. The epic story behind the stories of the shepherds and stables and swaddling cloths and silent holy nights. Instead of a young woman named Mary from Nazareth, we have this awe-inspiring vision of a pregnant woman clothed with the sun, 12 stars on her head like a diamond tiara, huge with child. This is Mary, but more than Mary, this is the church, the mother of Christ and the bride of Christ merged all into one, pregnant with the Messiah, pregnant with hope. But as she groans and pushes in expectancy, a dragon rends the stillness, the gaping jaws of an enormous seven-headed red, red, red dragon. Are you picturing this in your mind? Jaws open, ready to devour the baby. Devour hope. <laughs> this is no sully from monster's ink, warm-hearted under a fearful appearance. The th- horns and the crown, crown symbolize great destructive power and authority. John clearly identifies the dragon as the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. The child is born and snatched away, waiting for his time to reign. The woman is kept safe, but there's a war in heaven. There's a holy war. Psalm 94 is talking about this battle. With all my heart, I I, I would tell you this is true. Psalm 94 is looking forward to this holy war, this epic battle for the glory of God with a vicious villain. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that this battle is not against flesh and blood. This battle is not against a person. Ultimately, it's spiritual. Like Frodo and his fellowship against Sauron and the Lord of the Rings, or Maximus against Commodius and Gladiator, or Iron Man against Thanos, even Little Red Riding Hood against the big bad wolf. This is an epic battle against principalities and powers, spiritual forces, Paul talks to, describes them, spiritual forces of wickedness including systemic evil, demonic hate. I know we live in a culture that thinks of evil as a disease, a psychological sickness, a sociological virus. But the Bible describes evil as personal, malicious, and dangerous. And listen, this enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy, and he doesn't give a damn how he does it. He'll use the bitterness of racial injustice or the arrogance of prejudice. He's just as happy to use violence as pride. And, and he's thrilled when he can use institutions rather than just individuals. He'll drain your hope, plant seeds of fear, and prod you to defend your sin. He'll use politics on both sides of the aisle. Let me say that again. He'll use politics on both sides of the aisle. And his hobby is shaping those little Facebook rants. I don't know. I I, kind of wonder if perhaps one of the great problems for our movement today is that for the last few decades, the invitation to follow Jesus has read more like a travel agency brochure than an enlistment campaign. We often hear some form of come to Jesus and he'll lead you to the life of your dreams. Join the Be Happy team. Life is easier in Jesus' land. The, the sun always shines brighter in Jesus' land. Smiles last longer in Jesus' land. The biblical invitation is more like come fix your eyes on Christ and fight for the King. We're going to fill this land with the knowledge of the glory of Christ or die trying. And some of us will die trying. You're thinking that sounds a bit daunting, Dan. <laughs> It does, but here's the deal. We live in the midst of an epic battle, but we overcome in glorious hope. You can't have one without the other, but we will overcome. There's glorious hope. That's the next chapter of Revelation. That's the second chapter of Habakkuk. And the last few verses of Psalm 94, the apostle John says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down, hurled down, hurled down. They overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And because they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death, they they overcame him. Brothers and sisters in the family of God overcame him. No lone rangers. This is a family battle. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. We, they are the ones who, who stand up for injustice. I'm, I'm telling you, something happened at the cross where justice and mercy met, where grace and truth merged, where radical sacrificial love was poured out in healing resurrection life for the world. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. In other words, listen, but don't be silent. Their word of their testimony is powerless if no one listens. But when we listen, we cannot be silent. We cannot be silent, but we must listen. We listen to each other. We listen to Christ. We listen for those who are calling out for justice, for those who are wondering, who will stand for me? We speak truth and grace. We speak healing and confession and repentance. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony because they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They loved Christ more than life itself. They loved others more than they loved their own lives. I've thought much about this. Please hear my heart when I say this. Take most any evil, any injustice that runs rampant in our land, on our earth, pornography, sex trafficking, abortion, hungry children dying from unclean water, racism personal sin, and systemic evil, doesn't it it all lay at the doorstep of the church? I mean, isn't it a spiritual battle? And if it's a spiritual battle, isn't it our responsibility? And if we own the responsibility, isn't it our failure when evil triumphs? I mean, didn't Jesus say that the church he builds would storm the gates of hell? Are these really battles for politicians and nonprofits and protesters and police? Are we surrendering forward into the battle or are we shrinking back into comfort? Listen, isn't it time to breathe in the spirit and follow Christ into the battle? Not a battle over mass or COVID or, or politics, not an infant effort to win for our political party, not the victory of my post on Facebook, but the battle of good over evil, of hope over despair, of love over apathy and faith over fear. In Psalm 94, we see a raw and honest expression of emotion in the face of injustice, evil, and oppression. We see that it is not wrong to cry out to God for those who are facing injustice, but rather it's an act of faith and trust in His future glory. But there's also, listen to me, there's also a hint of our own personal responsibility when we hear, who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? I mean, just these two questions alone are a challenge. To us to examine our own hearts, a call to be honest with ourselves and evaluate our own actions and attitudes. Are we aligning ourselves with God's ways or are we contributing to the injustice we say we despise? Are we seeking a heart transformation that leads us to live a way that reflects God's love for grace and justice? Are we actively partnering with God to bring justice to our neighborhoods, our schools, our our workplaces, our world? Think about those questions as I read the scripture again, this time from Eugene Peterson's The Message. God, put an end to evil. Avenging God, show your colors. Judge of the earth, take your stand. Throw the book at the arrogant. God, the wicked, get away with murder. How long will you let this go on they brag and they boast and they crow about their crimes they walk all over your people god they exploit and abuse your precious people they they take out anyone who gets in their way if they can't use them they kill them they think god isn't looking jacob's god is out to lunch well, think again, you idiots, fools. How long before you get smart? Do you think ear maker doesn't hear? Eye shaper doesn't see? Do you think the trainer of nations doesn't correct? The teacher of Adam doesn't know? God knows, all right. God knows your stupidity. He sees your shallowness. How blessed the man you train, God, the woman you instruct in your word, providing a circle of quiet within the clamor of evil while a jail is being built for the wicked. God will never walk away from his people, never desert his precious people. Rest assured that justice is on its way and every good heart put right. Who stood up for me against the wicked? Who took my side against evil workers? If God hadn't been there for me, I never would have made it. The minute I said I'm slipping I'm falling your love god took hold and held me fast when I was upset and beside myself you calmed me down and cheered me up can misrule have anything in common with you can troublemaker pretend to be on your side they ganged up on good people they plotted behind the backs of the innocent but god became my hideout god was my high mountain retreat then boomerang their evil back on them for their evil ways he wiped them out our god cleaned them out for good Huh. Let me pray. God, there's, there's a heaviness in that psalm. A heaviness when, when we realize, when we know, when we understand that there are people all over the world experiencing injustice that loads them down, that breaks their backs, that causes them to lose hope. God, I pray for each one of us listening to my words, who listen to these words of Scripture. I pray that we would be a people who stand up for others against the wicked, that we would be a people who, who rise up, who take a stand, who take the side against evil. I, I pray, God, that you would, you would arm us, that you would train us, that you would shape us to be fighters in the battle, the spiritual battle, Our battle ultimately is not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and spiritual forces of darkness in the evil world. And there is a power and authority they have that brings a darkness and a despair and a brokenness to our world. God, I pray that we would pray with all our hearts, that we would be a people of prayer who stand up for and take the side of those who are burdened by injustice. God, I thank you that you are a God of grace and you are also a God of justice. And because of that, we have hope. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.